Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. We don't want Chick-fil-A. Now, don't worry, those aren't my words. I love Chick-fil-A. I do. I think it's the best fast food chicken sandwich in the entire fast food industry. I really do. And who can resist the waffle fries? Like I go in, say, I'm not going to get the fries, just the sandwich. I end up getting the fries. I think it's irresistible. I love Chick-fil-A. I really, really do. A little overpriced, but so is everything else these days. Right? No, those aren't my words. I love Chick-fil-A. Those are actually the words of an editor with the New Yorker magazine in 2018 who wrote this article in the New Yorker entitled Chick-fil-A's Creepy Infiltration of New York City. Really, what is so threatening about a chicken sandwich and a fast food franchise coming to New York City? Well, he shares what's threatening about it in the article. He, He wrote these words. The brand's arrival here feels like an infiltration in no small part because of its pervasive Christian traditionalism. Its headquarters in Atlanta are adorned with Bible verses and a statue of Jesus washing a disciple's feet. Its stores close on Sundays. The restaurant's corporate purpose still begins with the words to glorify God. And that proselytism uh, thrums below the surface of the Fulton Street restaurant. What he's saying is we don't want Jesus. It really has nothing to do with the chicken sandwich. I remember in 2012, very, very similar, when Chick-fil-A wanted to go to Chicago, hearing Mayor Rahm Emanuel get on TV and announce that we don't want Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A's values don't match Chicago's values, as if he speaks for all six million people. See, the real issue is Jesus. That's the real issue. No, our world's not against God. It's okay to talk about God. It's Jesus and all that he represents, and all that that means. And I want you to hear today a leadership principle out of Acts chapter 19, if you have a copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, as we go through the book of Acts, we're looking at the principles of leadership, and we're pulling out the biblical principles of leadership from these early Christian leaders, this case with the Apostle Paul. And what we're going to learn today is this, this leadership principle, spirit-led leaders live in the fear of God, not the fear of men. The fear of God, not the fear of men. Uh, they, uh, it, was, it was CEO, founder of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, when asked if he believes marriage is between a man and a woman, this is why they said we don't want Chick-fil-A. Because as a Christian, he simply said, yes, I believe what the Bible teaches about marriage, that marriage is between male and female. By the way, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 19 and verse 4. As Christians, we follow Jesus. And that's why Christians traditionally have always believed marriage is between male and female. Now, when given the chance to recant and back up, like most people do when they're being threatened with being canceled, he instead doubled down. He said, guilty as charge. I'm a Christian. This is what Jesus said, and this is why I believe marriage between a man and a woman. See, you have a man here who's walking in the fear of God, not the fear of men. 
And you see this phrase over and over again in Scripture, the fear of the Lord, the fear of man. What does that mean? It doesn't mean we're scared of God as Christians, but it does mean that ultimately it's God who's in charge of our life. It's God to whom we've surrendered our lives, and God is God, and we're not which means I'm here to serve him, not men. I'm not gonna be controlled by people's opinion. That's the fear of man. And understand, the cancel culture is not anything new. It was going on 2,000 years ago, too. The early Christians were canceled, not because they worshiped Jesus, but because they'd worship only Jesus. They were canceled because they had a radically different sexual ethic and a world of promiscuity and sexual immorality and pornography. They had a radically different sexual ethic of monogamy and marriage. That's what Jesus was teaching. They lived in the fear of God, not the fear of men. And what the world needs today are Christians, again, who will live in the fear of God, not in the fear of men, not in the fear of public opinion or what people might say. And that's what we learn today from Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 takes place in the ancient city of Ephesus. Now, what I love about the Bible is it is real people, real places, and real events that really happen. Kristen and I had a chance many years ago to travel in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, and we actually got to go to the ancient city of Ephesus, the ruins that are still there today. And it was amazing to stand in this very stadium behind us, a 25,000 seat theater that is mentioned in Acts 19 specifically, where there was a riot over Christianity. See, the nature of the gospel is it creates both revival and riot, and in this case, in the same city. And while we want to put the gospel on display in irresistible ways, that abundant life, we're calling the next two years the irresistible campaign, because we want to put the gospel on display in irresistible ways, we need to remember that the gospel, the truth, is both irresistible to some, but it is reprehensible to others. And that very same thing happened in this very city. It was irresistible to some and reprehensible to others. And it was in this very stadium right here that they rioted because of such hostility against Christianity, that Christianity had come to their city. They didn't say, we don't want Chick-fil-A. What they were saying is, we don't want Jesus. And that is why it's so important today that we learn from the ancient church because we're returning to the days of old. I've made this observation through our Daniel series. We're no longer a Judeo-Christian civilization. And that's the nature of Western civilization built primarily by Christians with a Christian worldview and Christian values. But the Bible prophesied toward the time of the end, we had returned to the days of Rome. We'd return to the days of Rome morally and culturally and socially, and we're seeing it happen today in the 21st century. That is why Jesus and all that he stands for can usher in such emotion and hostility. And this is what I want to talk about today. Listen very carefully. For the same reason the ancient Christians went to Ephesus, we're going to the crossroads of our city for the same reason the ancient Christians multiplied from Ephesus to Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea, all around the ancient world known as Asia Minor, what was now Turkey. For the very same reason, we have this multiplying movement to multiply new gatherings and new places to reach new people who need Jesus. 
And this is what they're doing. It's 52 AD in Acts chapter 19. The Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's come to the city right here. It's a port city in what is today Turkey. It's the ancient city of Ephesus. And there's so much to learn from these early Christians as they went to the city. It was the de facto capital of Asia Minor. It was the third largest city in the ancient world, a huge city by ancient world standards. We're talking a quarter of a million people called this place home. Not only was it a city of power, it was a city of prosperity. It was a port city. And many of the goods from all around the world came through this city. It was a place of commerce. It was a place that was cultured and cosmopolitan, but it was also a place of great depravity and debauchery, for it's here in the city that is the cult of Diana. It was the temple of Diana from which thousands of pilgrims from all over the Roman world will come to worship her, this goddess of fertility, this goddess of sensuality. And it's in this city that this little church is born in Acts chapter 19 that began with 12 people as the Apostle Paul goes there and begins sharing the gospel. I want to talk today about how to make the gospel irresistible in a culture that's increasingly hostile toward the gospel. We, we need to be people that are controlled by God, not by man. It's a leadership principle. If you want to find your one, I mean, if you want to live on mission, if you want to fulfill this Acts 1-8 mandate to be his witness in Jerusalem, to the Samaria, to the ends of the world, that means we're going to have to live in the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man. And the early Christians did just that. And I want to talk about that very thing today. Number one is this. We need to be present in the culture. We need to be present in the culture, meaning we can't run from the culture, we can't hide from the culture, we can't have Christian escapism, Christian isolationism. God has embedded us in this place, in this time, for such a time as this. In the very same way, those early Christians didn't try to reach Ephesus from hundreds of miles away. They embedded themselves in the city. Look at what it says right here in Acts 19 and verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Now, this wasn't just random accident. Paul, Paul was specifically going to Ephesus for a reason, because the gospel doesn't run from the darkness. The gospel runs to the darkness. The, the gospel doesn't run. It, it runs to, not from. And this is what he does. This was Paul's way. He would first go to the Jews and the synagogues, and then he would go to the Greeks, the, the pagans. It says these words in verse 8, and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, that's what Christians were called in the early days, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. And so before we were called Christians, we were called people of the way because we follow the way. We still do today. And so they were hardening their hearts and speaking evil of the way, as some still do today. Uh, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So he would leave the synagogue of the Jews, and then he would go to the Greek philosophy schools where he would get a platform in front of the pagans, and he'd start sharing the gospel. And this is what Paul would always do, as he would go to a new city and break new ground 
for Jesus. And here's what it says. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia Minor heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Imagine every person living in what is today modern day Turkey had heard the gospel in the space of two years before there was any modern television ministry, no radio ministry, no social media, no technology. It was a multiplying movement that took the gospel to the entire region of Asia Minor. I want you to see the principle. Listen very carefully. We are multiplying in the same way, not just locally, but globally. Would you welcome our first church house in Canada that just started a week or two ago? The Abundant Life Church House in Quebec, Canada. Uh, these little band of followers began watching Abundant Life during COVID. All the churches in Canada were shut down. They decided they want to join us to keep going with us. And so a few weeks ago, uh, they launched the church house of Abundant Life in Quebec. And here's the coolest part of the story. This precious young lady right here, Kyle Warsham, our campus pastor for the Abundant Life online, told me her name is Rena. And Rena had never been raised in church. She'd never been to church. She'd never heard the gospel, didn't know what it meant to be a Christian, but she and God got invited to this little church house. She heard the gospel, and just a few weeks ago, she received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Rena, we're so happy for you. So proud of you. See, this is how the early church spread the gospel so quickly. What we're doing is new for us, but it's not new in the scope of church history. It was a, a multiplying movement. And because of modern technology, we can multiply faster and faster than ever. Rena's going to be baptized very, very soon. In fact, I'm convinced this church house movement just might be the greatest evangelistic methodology North America has ever seen. As our nation, our civilization becomes less and less churched and increasingly secularized, more and more people are going to find their faith sitting in somebody's living room on a Sunday morning. And it's already happening. I want you to see why we're in Quebec. Why are we going to the crossroads of Kansas City? Why would we go next to Overland Park, Johnson County, Kansas, here in the Kansas City metro? Because the gospel doesn't run from the darkness. The gospel runs to the darkness. See, the temptation as modern American Christians that are trying to stand for truth, the ancient truth, the historic tenets of Christianity, is just isolate ourselves, kind of escape from culture, and kind of create this little, this little subculture of Christianity so we never actually have to engage the culture and anybody that doesn't know him. And I'm trying to tell you, that was not the methodology of early Christianity. They weren't trying to hide from the darkness. They were running to the darkness. And ultimately, I want you to understand the implications. We are embedded for such a time as this by our God for this purpose to be present in the culture to make a difference with the gospel. Now here's what Paul would write several years later as he would plant this little church in Ephesus. About 10 years later, he is on house arrest in Rome and he would write them a letter specifically. He loved this precious church that he had planted. He knew he was never gonna see them again. He writes them a letter. We now study it. We know it as the letter to the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And he writes them this letter specifically for a reason, because he wants to remind them that though they are living in a time of darkness, that they themselves are children of the light, not children of the night. They're living under the shadow of the Temple of Diana. And this is the Temple of Diana, an artist's rendering. It was called one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 
450 feet long by 250 feet wide, seven stories high, 127 columns holding the whole thing up. And it wasn't on the outside, it was on the inside that what really mattered happened as thousands and thousands of pilgrims would come from all over the Roman world where they would worship this goddess of fertility by ritualistic acts of prostitution and orgy where they would give their bodies to these temple prostitutes, both male and female, in acts of promiscuity and immorality. They were worshiping this goddess known as Diana to the Romans, or Aphrodite uh, to the Greeks, a multi-breasted woman. She's called the Lady of Ephesus. Now, church, we're far too sophisticated as modern American society to worship an idol like this, yes? I mean, we would never ever worship this, this goddess, would we? We're, we're far too sophisticated. You know, the reality is, we are. Well, the temple of Diana was destroyed long ago. The spirit of a Diana is very much alive in modern American civilization. The goddess of sexuality, the idolatry, and consequently, a society in a state of moral anarchy. You see, that is the spirit of Diana that is alive today. And that is why Paul would write to remind this little church living under the shadow of this depravity. He would write this in Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You know what Paul is saying? You are present in the culture, but the culture is not to be present in you. See, you are in the world to change the world, but you're not to let the world get in you to change you. I want you to see what he says in Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. In other words, what makes Christianity relevant is that we are different. And only when Christians quit trying to be different has our message lost relevance. See, somewhere along the way, we thought to reach the culture, we would simply have to change the way we see. You know, it's kind of like when you walk into a dark room, you can't see a thing, but your eyes adjust in the darkness of the night, so you start to kind of see shadows in a dingy gray, and that's what's happened in modern American churchianity. So much of the time, over and over again, where we are in the culture to change culture and impact culture, instead the culture gets in us and impacts us. So consequently, what is happening is a different form of Christianity that's ever been known in 2,000 years of church history. We're looking increasingly like Christian pagans in modern America. We're to be in the culture, but we're not to let the culture be in us. Now, the second thing is this. We need to pray for God's power. We need to be present in the culture, not run from culture, not hide from culture, but we need to recognize that this is combat. It's not allegory. It's real. And this is what happens next. As you uh, look through the Acts chapter 19, we don't have time to go through the whole thing. i got to move really, really fast. But I want to give you kind of a, a high-level view of what happens in this remarkable chapter of Acts chapter 19. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. The apostle Paul had the signs or the gifts of an apostle. God gave, according to 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 12, the apostles the ability to work miracles. 
because he wanted to differentiate the true apostles from all the false apostles, the counterfeit apostles. And so Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, surely I wrought among you the signs of an apostle, which were these signs, wonders, mighty deeds. This is what God is doing now. He's authenticating Paul's apostleship by his ability to work miracles. Now listen carefully. God still does miracles. Uh, Chad Glover talked about one just a week ago where little Harlow, who's the infant daughter of one of our pastors, Cody Gleason, was born with an eye condition. She came out of the womb with glaucoma. She was going to have to have multiple surgeries, recently goes into the operating room for a surgery. Ten minutes later, the doctor comes back and announces, I don't know what happened. I cannot explain it, but her high is healed. She does not have glaucoma. I know what happened. Bunch of people were praying for Harlow. It's a medical miracle. God still does that, but listen carefully. While God still does miracles, nobody today can say, I have the gift of miracles. You know why? Because that's an apostolic gift. According to Acts chapter 2, you can't be an apostle unless you were an eyewitness of the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody today is qualified to be an apostle. That's why nobody today has the gift of an apostle, which is miracles. We need to pray for miracles. God still does them. But nobody today has the gift of miracles. Now, let's go on. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. What you have here is some wannabes that are watching the apostle Paul cast out demons. And they're counterfeits, they're wannabes. And look at what happens next. It says also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish tea priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Can you imagine? This evil spirit speaks back, and I know we live at a time in Western civilization that we try to take the supernatural out of the Bible and try to put everything through a naturalistic lens, but we need to remember we live in the realm that is seen, and we also live in a realm that is unseen. There is the spiritual realm, and there is the physical realm, and every single day these two interact. Yeah, according to Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle with the demonic daily. And what's happening here? You have a counterfeit who's trying to wrestle with the demonic, and the demon talks back and says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Let me ask you, is your name known in hell? I want my name to be known in heaven, yes, most, most of all, but, but we ought to want to be a threat and a danger to the enemy, and when you become a danger to the enemy, your name is known in hell. Now, if you're just a POW, a prisoner of war, and you're no threat to the enemy, he doesn't know your name. Let me ask you, do the demons back up when they see you coming? They did when they saw Paul coming. And I want you to see that is why we need to pray for God's power. Because this is not natural. This is supernatural that we're asking God to do. Unexplainable. It says, in the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. I want you to see, church, the real enemy is never someone we can see, but rather the one unseen behind the scenes. We need to look at our world not just through our physical eyes, but our spiritual eyes. To see what Jesus sees 
And there's always the power of pulling the strings behind the scenes. This is a reminder years later as the Apostle Paul would write this letter to the Ephesians. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He's reminding them of the real adversary. It's not the Ephesians, the people, that they're there to reach with the gospel. It's the power pulling their strings. We wrestle against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And church, I'm convinced more and more, as we look back over the last 20 years, the radical changes that we're seeing in our world today cannot be explained any other way except a satanic spirit that has been released on our nation. There's no other way to explain it. This is an age of delusion, an age of distortion, an age of calling good evil and evils being called good. And there's no other way to explain this because it defies all reason and logic and rationale. It is completely irrational. It is illogical. For me to stand, if I did today, I would be celebrated probably on CNN and all over the news, if I stood up today and Pastor Phil announces, I've had a revelation, I'm not really a man. I'm a woman. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm really not. If I stood today and said, I have a revelation, I'm not really a man, I'm a woman, I would be celebrated. It's not possible scientifically. This is an opinion. It's just facts. It's known facts. Gender is not driven by hormones. It's driven by chromosomes. You can trade your hormones, but you can't trade your chromosomes. It's DNA. But think about the implication. For me to say that's not possible, I'm the one that's hated. I'm the one that's crazy. What's happening is illogical. It can't be explained except... We're returning to the days of Rome. We are returning to the days of Ephesus, the days of the Ephesians. There is a spirit that has been unleashed on our civilization. We need to remember that there are cosmic powers pulling the strings behind the scenes. That's what Paul would remind the Corinthians. He says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Paul's reminding us that people who do not believe the gospel, people who do not believe the truth, is not simply that they're bad people. They're not always bad people. They're blind people. They've been blinded spiritually. They can't see the truth because Satan has blinded their mind. He's lowered the veil over their eyes so they cannot see the light of the gospel. In the same way, if you walk into a bedroom on a sunny day and you pull down the blinds, it's going to darken down that room. You know what Paul's saying? That's exactly what Satan has done. He has pulled down the blinds over people's minds, which means the number one thing we can do is pray. We need to pray for those people in our life that don't know Jesus, that are far, far from God. And that's what they were doing in Ephesus. Now, there's a third thing is this. Process the gospel with compassion. See, it's really easy to denounce everything that's wrong in our world. That's no problem. If you don't have the veil over your eyes, it's easy to see everything that's wrong. But church, I'm telling you, too much of the time, we have the right position and a really, really poor disposition. 
And I will promise the Apostle Paul did not show up Ephesus and preach on a street corner and start shouting at people, telling them they're evil. When you die, you will fry. God hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. No, that's not how it happened. What you see is revival take place because Jesus is becoming living proof of a loving God to a watching, dying world, and it's happening in Ephesus. Verse 18, and many who believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Imagine such revival that men who used to visit the temple of Diana and the neighborhood brothel and the prostitutes, they come confessing openly, I have sinned, but I am repenting of my sexual sin. I'm turning now to him. That's revival. That's what was happening. Look what it says here in uh, verse uh, 19. Also, many of those who'd practiced magic and brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. You had this city full of people who were practicing black magic, occult magic, witches, pagan, Wiccan. Do you know what I'm saying? Paganism is making a comeback. Witchcraft is making a comeback. Here you have these ancient pagan witches bringing their cultic books, repenting of their sin, and burning them. You talk about revival. God is radically changing the hearts of these ancient pagans. And he's still doing it, by the way. So I was talking to a young man in our church uh, this past week by the name of Adam Hall, an amazing story. Tragically, his fiance died recently, a young lady, by probably 30 years of age, very, very tragic, and she's now in heaven. But here's what came out of that because of what happened. He was able to connect because of his fiance's death to another young lady that was kind of a friend of a friend. This young lady was a practicing witch modern-day pagan, a Wiccan. And because of this young lady's death, it fostered a gospel conversation and a series of conversations where this young lady, like these ancient pagans, this young lady has denounced her Wiccan pagan religion and has come to faith in Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm trying to tell you, as we read this ancient text about the early Christians, this isn't just what God did then. He's doing it now over and over again. For those that want to engage the culture and not run from the darkness, but run to the darkness and pray for God's power because it's always God's power that wrenches someone loose from the distortion and deception of Satan. But listen very carefully, we have to learn how to do this well. And frankly, we don't always do this very well. Our purpose is to win hearts, not arguments. And sometimes the body of Christ doesn't do this well. I had something I was going to say about all this. I'm not going to get to now. I'm not going to finish your outline. In God's providence, as I turned these notes in on Thursday, I thought I knew what I was going to say about this, but something happened last night. I changed my mind. Because we live in a world that is so politicized, 
Everything has now been so weaponized. Sometimes we can't tell friend from foe. And instead of having a spirit of compassion, we quickly turn to a spirit of condemnation. Now we're defenders of truth, an abundant life. We're not going to back up on the truth, the timeless truth of God's word. But it's not enough to have the right position if you have a hateful, demeaning disposition. Make no mistake about it, an openly gay or lesbian lifestyle is not compatible with Christianity. But neither is the man who claims to be a Christian, but he's looking at pornography. Neither is the young lady who claims to be a Christian, but she's sleeping with her boyfriend, she's not married. So last night, I'm getting ready for bed, getting ready to try to preach on the morning. I don't sleep good on Saturday nights to begin with. I didn't sleep at all last night. Somebody texted me and asked me, Phil, have you seen what's going on on our social media page, our Facebook page? No, I didn't know. Our comms department had posted that our church is part of the follow-up campaign for this multi-million dollar media campaign called He Gets Us. Boy, I didn't see this coming. So for those of you that don't know what that means and don't know what it is, let me explain. $100 million media campaign targeting the millions of Americans who don't know anything about Jesus. And the idea would be that they'd want to know more about Jesus. These commercials that you're going to see tonight for the Super Bowl, they're not meant to answer the question, who is Jesus? They're meant to get people asking the question, who is Jesus? They're not meant to answer that question. They're meant to get people to ask the questions. And then, as they click on the links, they get connected with a church like ours that can tell them who is Jesus and share the gospel with them. So a few months ago, I was approached by two men in our own church that have been a part of this campaign, very instrumental. I agreed to be a part of the follow-up for our church. Like, who wouldn't want to have gospel conversations with people that are far from God? Yeah, I'm in. I didn't look at any of the commercials ahead of time. They weren't ready. Didn't look at any of the ads. Didn't feel like I need to. I know who these people are. They're not heretics. They're Bible-believing Christians. I know of the people that are funding this. We're talking about the Green family, the Hobby Lobby family, the same family that gave us the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. We're talking Bill High and the Signatory. These are people who believe the right Jesus and believe the right gospel. They are not heretics. They're not trying to promote a false Jesus. Now, some of these commercials, man, if I were doing the commercial, I wouldn't have done it that way. Because these commercials have framed Jesus as a man. These commercials are meant to frame Jesus in his humanity. Church, listen carefully. That is not heresy. Jesus was a human. He was a human. He wasn't just a human, but he was a human. It is not heresy to say Jesus was a man, and as a man, he went through all the things we do as humans. He gets us. All that is, is Hebrews 
chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, We have not a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The implication of that verse is as a man, he gets us. He knows what we go through in his humanity. And so people begin lobbing grenades at each other and calling the people behind this ad campaign heretics that don't even know what heresy is. It's not heresy to frame Jesus as a human. He was. Do you know the first heresy the early church encountered was not the heresy to deny his deity. It was the heresy to deny his humanity. It was called Gnosticism. The apostle John spoke into this very thing. In 1 John chapter 4, he said these words, who is that spirit that denies Jesus Christ is come in the flesh? He's not of God, he's antichrist. One of the tenets of the historic Christian faith is that Jesus was fully God, fully man. So now we've got people in the body of Christ calling others heretics for emphasizing Jesus' humanity. It's heresy to say Jesus had anxiety. In his humanity, he had anxiety. Have you read the story of the Garden of Gethsemane? He was under such anxiety, he sweated sweat droplets of blood and sweat. Oh, it's heresy to say he was a refugee. Have you read his story? His family fled to Egypt, homeless. He was. It's part of his story. Now, here's the deal. I'm just going to be gut-level honest with you. I always will. I will never sidestep anything. I will never try to pretend all is well in paradise. If it's not, you're going to get the truth at Abundant Life. This is a leadership study. Okay, leadership principles from Abundant Life. Leadership principles from the Apostle Paul. I've gotten used to not knowing who my friends really are, who's really for me, who really supports me. I've got used to that. It's part of what comes with the leadership God's given me. I get it. Leadership principle from the Apostle Paul. Get shot from all sides. Put your big boy pants on, go to work. I hear people th say things about our church. I hear people say things about me personally that don't know anything about us. I hear people say, well, we've watered down the word and we've compromised the word and people don't know anything about us that say those things. Let me tell you why. Because our church is very, very large now. In fact, we might be, I don't know for sure, the largest church in the Kansas City metro, which means our church is an easy target. I'm an easy target. We're an easy church to hate on by those who hate God, and sometimes those who say they do. But when I got online last night, it broke my heart. To see members of our own church putting our church on blast. Well, how can we align with this heretical movement?
some of which have listened to me for a long, long time, and they know what I believe. And if you go back far enough, just the last three or four years, if you know anything about our church, you know the public stances and the public positions we have taken that are unpopular in a society that is hostile toward the gospel. Do you really think Pastor Phil is going to somehow promote a false Jesus, some woke rainbow flag-waving Jesus? Seriously? Are you kidding me? Now, here's what I know. It's a time of fear. You talk about the fear of man. Clearly, the body of Christ is under a lot of fear. You know how I can tell when people are in a lot of fear? Because they shoot from the hip. Anything that moves. Even each other. That's what fearful people do. Just shoot indiscriminately. And here's the reason there's fear, because I have preached about this openly many times in the last few years. You have 80% of American churches that have distorted the gospel, they have distorted who Jesus is, they have distorted the truth, they've sacrificed truth on the altar of mercy in all this, the name of compassion, the name of grace, and it is not Christianity. It is a distortion, and what they have is Jesus, the social justice warrior, that's all he was, that's all he is. And that is a distortion of the truth. It's the apostate church. And I've said it many times, you should know better. And some of these people have my cell number. All you gotta do is call and say, Phil, this seems weird. Like, abundant life wouldn't normally partner with this. Why are we doing There's more I don't know. If we read the rest of this chapter, check it out. That 25-seat theater became the place of a riot. The silversmiths gathered there. You know why? Because Christianity was so altering the religious fabric of that city that people were no longer buying their silver idols. They were losing money. And so one of them incited all the others to gather in the stadium, and it was there. They worked themselves into a frenzy. Check this out. The stadium is no longer physically where people gather. It's social media. That's the stadium where now people gather and they work themselves into a frenzy and riot over things that don't matter. And call people who love Jesus. I know the people behind this ad campaign. They are not heretics. They are Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people that are trying to engage a lost and dying culture with the gospel. Let me ask you, you don't think our church should be in the follow-up? Who do you want people to call? Who would you rather they call? Hey, I don't particularly like these ads either. It's not how I would have framed Jesus. They make me uncomfortable. But guess what? They're not for me. They're not meant for you. I don't know who they're going to call if they call this church. I don't know what's going to happen if they call that church. I don't know what's going to happen if they call that church. But I know what's going to happen if they call our church. They're going to get the true gospel, all the gospel, the complete picture of who Jesus is. 
And what I will promise you is it's already happening. We're fielding calls from people who are in a state of depression and darkness, suicidal. We're getting calls from people in the grips of addiction and, and depression. And we're giving gospel conversations and hope to people that would have no hope. Are you kidding me? You think Jesus is offended because an ad calls him a refugee? No, what he is offended by is when the body of Christ starts throwing grenades at each other. It's wrong. It's sinful. And it is of the devil. David Green, founder of Hobby Lobby, who spent millions of his own dollars putting a Bible museum in Washington, D.C., is not a heretic. Bill High is not a heretic. The two men in our church that I first heard about this from are not heretics. And your pastor certainly isn't. You will, ne you will never know, church. I, I, I don't need... I you will never know. The scars our church now has because we openly stand for the truth. Let me tell you why I love our church so much. I loved it from day one, 23 years ago. Today, a little band of people called me to be their pastor in a little broken down brick building, a former kingdom hall with a parking lot the size of a postage stamp. 23 years ago today, they called me to be their pastor. Listen carefully, I do not care if I'm canceled. I'm not worried about being canceled. You know why? Because I would rather go back, start over, preach to a dozen people in a little broken down brick building than compromise one word of the Bible. To see people that I have pastored for years and years that ought to know better. Look, I'm used to taking shots. People say things about us that aren't true. No accountability. Some of you know the truth. You know what we believe. We would never promote a false Jesus. No, these ads are not her heretical. They, they, they are incomplete, but they're not heretical. Jesus was a man. They're not heretical because they promote Jesus in his humanity. They're simply incomplete. It's meant to get people asking the question so they want to know more. What this has shown me is a breach in the body of Christ. The 20% of churches that are left in America that still believe the historic tenets of the Christian faith like ours. 
Most of them have a bunker mentality. Most of them have a Christian compound mentality. They're going to stay behind the safe walls of the church, and they're going to pride themselves and pat themselves on the back because of their doctrinal purity, and we believe the right thing, and we're the sole defenders of the faith, and they're going to lob the grenades at churches like ours because there's a few of us still that aren't going over here. We're not going to distort the truth. We're not going to let the culture in our hearts and change what we believe, but we're going to run to the darkness instead of run away. And my last point was this, we need to prepare for persecution. And what this has shown me is we're not ready. Christian persecution is coming to Western civilization. You want to talk about hate? Hatred? And the church is not ready. Because we can't tell friend from foe. I'm praying for a revival. I'm praying for a move of God, even tonight in the Super Bowl. And you can criticize our church and your pastor for being a part of this He Gets Us campaign. Go, you, you have a right to your opinion. I'm not going to change it. But I will absolutely promise you, if I do not get to sit down one time and watch this Super Bowl because I'm so busy answering the phone because so many people want to know who Jesus is, I will count it a win. I will count that a win. And Jesus will not be offended, but he is deeply offended when you turn on the bride. Wherever you are in the world, I want to invite you to get on your knees with me. Blue Springs, Independence, church houses everywhere right here in Lee Summit. We need to get on our knees and repent. And pray that God might send revival. Jesus, I can only imagine what you think and what you feel when you look at the modern American church. I pray that, God, you'd bring repentance to the apostate church that has compromised your name compromised your word, distorted the truth. But God, you would grant repentance to churches like ours. And some among us that are so quick to judge make snap decisions, declarations. 
without even trying to understand or listen. Announce condemnation. Call each other heretics. Jesus, would you help us to have the wisdom to manage this tension? And the civilization that's increasingly hostile toward the gospel help us to know how to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. While standing for the truth without compromise, help us to do it with compassion, not a spirit of condemnation. God, as you did in Ephesus many years ago, would you do it again? Right here in our city and around the nation, in every community. We're praying for thousands and thousands and ten thousands and ten thousands and ten thousands and thousands of people who are hanging over hell by a thread at this very moment. People dying and going to hell. While the church bickers and fights. God forgive us, I pray. That you would help us to be the bride you've called us to be at Abundant Life. God, grant us humility, compassion one for another, forgiveness, to be living proof of a loving God in these dark and desperate times. In Jesus' name, amen. Church. I love you very, very much. From the bottom of my heart, I really do. Love you very deeply, and I hope you have a super blessed Sunday. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.